0: Hope Church we'll go with that all right good morning everybody uh, good to see you all um, love you much in the name of Jesus uh, this morning as Derek said it is Palm Sunday I just encourage you to go back and listen to um, his message and uh, music uh, this morning with our brother one-man band. Um, and so we just appreciate him so much doing that for us each, each Sunday. And as he said, he also has posted another video that has the lyrics. If you, um, want to learn a song and get rolling with that. So we love you, uh, this morning. And again, thank you for joining us. We're studying the book of John and we're in John, um, chapter eight, uh, this morning. And so, uh, before we pray and, and begin that, I just want to, um, talk about something just, just really briefly. Um, so there's a there's a manuscript issue in John chapter eight that might be noted um, in your Bible or on your app if you're if you're reading it um, in the the text, the old, oldest text that we have. Um, we don't see John chapter seven verse fifty three through chapter eight um, verse eleven. And so some people think this passage shouldn't be here, you know, um, as far as that goes. However, um, it is found in the majority of texts and in over 900 still really old um, manuscripts have this passage. Now, those who go with the majority of those 900 manuscripts, um, you know, believe there's an old, you know, there's obviously older source um, texts, you know, for those. Um, so, you know, being being older and being the majority versus being—I'm sorry, being older and being the, the fewer, you know, texts versus um, being a little bit younger but being the majority of the text. that's kind of where the conflict um, lies. Um, so there's other tests that we have in terms of should we even be preaching this, you know, this morning. Um and, you know, is it true? Does it fit with the passage? Does it go with what Jesus is saying throughout? And the answer to all of that is absolutely yes. Um, and there's so much to, to learn, um, from, from this. Whether it was originally part of the, of the writing or, of John or not could be debated. Whether it actually happened and Jesus did this, um, I think there's a lot of evidence that says, yes, you know, yes, this this is a real event that happened um, in the life of of Jesus on earth and in in people that he encountered and dealt with. And this is um, an extremely powerful um, message here that Jesus gives, because this passage is, is something that many people are familiar with, where... There's a woman who is called in a, an adultery and her, her accusers bring her um, to Jesus. And so we're going to look at that this morning um, and continue on. So let's let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word and that it is it is powerful our lives. We are thankful, Jesus, that you are the light of the world and that you give your light and life to all who call On your name. And so we pray this morning there would be many around the world who would call on your name, even for the first time, Lord. They would be uh, brought into right relationship with you. Help us to understand your word and to apply it rightly to our lives. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, but Jesus went up into the mount to the Mount of Olives. So, chapter seven, verse fifty-three ends with people went to their homes. Chapter eight, verse one begins: Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Them now, now, early in the morning, verse two, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, "Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery." In the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said to him, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. <clears throat> so they continued, so when they continued asking him, He raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. I'm going to stop right there and then we'll continue um, the rest of the story in a minute. But I want to set that scene where Jesus, um, he is back in the temple. The people have come to him and he is teaching him. So you have this, imagine you have this scene with this crowd around him. We know from the the whole context here, as we continue the passage, he's actually teaching in the court of women, which is next to the treasurer. And this is significant. Um, it's significant that Jesus is, is teaching in this place where the, you know, the men and women would be allowed to enter in into the court of women. Um, and so he, he's teaching there to a, a mixed audience and it's near the treasury. And, you know, it, at this this feast of tabernacles, you know, the, the court of women, what they would would do is they would light these big um, torches um, and they would use the worn out. Uh, garments that the priest, you know, had worn previously. So when they're, you know, past use, that w- was what they made the wick of, that they would, would light on fire. So you had these large torches, and there would be singing and dancing in the town. Because so the people remembered how, you know, the Hebrews were brought out of, of Egypt, and when they were in the desert, um, it says God went before them, with you know the pillar of cloud, a fire of cloud at night, and it would remind them that God was there, was their light, and that's going to be really significant as we continue this passage and where Jesus is giving this message, and then uh, the the implications with what he says about himself being the light um, of the world. So now imagine this scene as Jesus is there teaching these men and women. Uh, this large crowd, and then some scribes and Pharisees bring to him a woman caught um, in adultery. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now that's, you know, a whole different level of, you know, embarrassment and shame and and all of that that is going on there. And then they say, you know, in the mall Moses, Moses, it says that she should be stoned. Now, the reality is that they didn't want to go with the whole truth here. Because, you know, the the man who was, you know, man and woman caught in adultery, Um, you know, that's not going to be good for either of them. But here they just bring the the woman, which is a little bit, you know, interesting. And then he says, they say, you know, what do you say? And they're testing him. You know, they don't really care about this woman's guilt or innocence or the law of Moses. That has nothing to do with their motivation. Their only motivation is, can we use this situation to somehow trap Jesus, can we get him to to say the wrong thing or to react the wrong way so that then we can, you know, accuse him? They they are putting, you know, a, a test. They they want to try. It's a test that, that is designed for his failure. You know, sometimes you ever take a test and you feel like the teacher or the professor wasn't really trying to figure out, what, what you knew, or, or, you know, did you really know the material or have confidence in the material? It was more of an, I gotcha, (laughs) you know, I got you on some fine print, on something that you probably, you know, didn't look at. And so I'm going to, I'm going to pull, I got you on, on you. Well, this is what, uh, I don't think most teachers and professors, you know, most don't do that obviously, but every now and then you get one, you're like, Hmm. Um, but this here, this is that type of test where it's just a, it's strictly an "I got you," I got you. You might have something to accuse him of. So Jesus stoops down and he and he writes um, with his finger. No, no, no. There's a speculation of what he you know wrote or did, didn't, what he what he wrote, what he what he didn't write. And I'm gonna um, not not go there this morning because I think we've got bigger things to talk, talk about. Even though I'm sure what he Significant to them. We can say that, I believe, with certainty. Um, So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So so Jesus, um, he's always wiser than those who are trying to catch him in something. He's you know, he is he is always the, the one you cannot outfox. Uh, and so, you know, he, he, he does not let that punch land. Uh, so he says, he's without sin among you. Let him throw a stone at her first. He turns her guilt and uses it to point out their, their guilt. You know, it's that old saying... You know, when when you point your finger, and maybe your thumb, I guess, you point your finger at somebody, you got three fingers pointing back at you, and that's what Jesus does here. Basically, hey, you're going to judge her, but are you right to judge her? Which of you is without sin? And so it says this, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, he probably wrote something about, he could have written something about the guilt of all, He could have written, you know, something about mercy uh, from the Old Testament or compassion. But here we go. It says those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. So when Jesus spoke truth and they were playing, they were playing, I got you. This actually came back to them and their conscience revealed to them that they had failed. And notice it says from the oldest to the last. The oldest went first because the oldest was wise enough to know, ooh, I have committed a lot of sins. I have done many things in my life that are wrong and that have broken the law of Moses and that are offensive to a holy God. Period. And so from the oldest... To the youngest, they they leave. You know, young people can be a little bit more prideful. A lot of times, in the sense of like, "Well, I'm good. I haven't done that much wrong," you know. And it's interesting. I just kind of wonder how this would have played out um, in in our culture today. Because in our culture today, it seems like everybody can condemn almost anybody for something but they're not willing to receive any condemnation for themselves. You know, everybody says, well, you did something wrong, but I'm good. And don't judge me for living my life how I want to live my life. Now, as we mentioned last week, it's interesting how things have shifted really quick, because now we've got all this social pressure of, hey, if you're not at least six feet apart, I'm going to say you might want to be a little further than that because last time I checked, you know, when people talk and stuff and stuff goes flying every now and then accidentally can go farther than six feet. I'm just saying. But, you know, we've got this. If you don't do certain things at this point in time, then the whole of society is saying, hey, that is that is wrong. That is wrong. And so, but we've we've had this culture where basically the mentality has been, "I do what I want to do, you do what you want to do," and I'm only going to judge it if I don't like it. Now, there's still a lot of judgment in our world. Don't don't misunderstand. You know, when when um, something happens with a celebrity, everybody's got an opinion. The whole world has an opinion, and so we have to pay attention to this. Um, the, how Jesus handles this, and and the the reality of what he is teaching the people here, is the same reality you find in, in Romans chapter twenty-three. For all have sinned and fall short of glory of God. We said, who among you has not sinned? Well, we've all sinned. Period. Jesus is the one there that's sinless. He's the only one who actually has a right to judge her. And so now, he, as he encounters her, he says. Um, Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. Now, the whole crowd is still there. It's just the the accusers are gone. It's not that no one is there. It, the crowd is still there. That's You'll see that. It's just the woman who's there. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you, Go and sin no more. Now, one thing we want to say about this passage, when he says, go and sin no more, he said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. He's not telling her, hey, you didn't do anything wrong. That's not the message. Like her guilt in the, in the passage, her guilt in the scene here is not in question. There are no counter-witnesses. There is no counter-argument. There is no, no, I didn't do it. No, there is just strictly guilt. And and really, that's the first step. She doesn't try to say, hey, I didn't do anything, or I didn't do anything wrong. You see, without the admission of guilt, without the acknowledgement of guilt, Jesus can do nothing for you. If you aren't willing to admit that you are sinful, even those scribes and Pharisees who are trying to get an account who recognize their own sinfulness, like if you're not willing to admit your own sinfulness, then Jesus can't do anything for you. No one can. There first has to be the conviction of, yes, I'm guilty. I, Chet Boyd, am guilty. Put your name in the blank. Guilty before God. But he doesn't, con- he doesn't condemn her for her, for what she has done—that was wrong. It was wrong. Can't get around that. But he, and he tells her, "Go and sin no more." You see, the expectation there is that her experience in this situation, her encounter with Jesus here, is is changing her. It has to change her. It can't leave her the same. She's not going to be able to go back and live a life in adultery. That's not that's not what God's plan for her is that's not what Jesus wants for her. So why does Jesus tell her stop living how you were living before? Because her way of life was destructive. You know, people. You know, as they read the the law and they read the law of Moses in the Old Testament, they go, "Well, why were these penalties so harsh? Why is why is it a life for a life? Or a life? Well, why why is adultery treated so harmful? You know, so, with such a, a great penalty? You know, well, why were these things that are written in the law given at, at, at such a level of punishment?" Well, I have a counter question. On that. Wouldn't you live in a society that didn't have murder? Wouldn't you want to live in a society that didn't have adultery? Wouldn't you want to live in a society where neighbors didn't lie to one another or try to take advantage of one another in business? Wouldn't you want to live in a society where you could have confidence? That when when someone told you something, they were telling you the truth. When you want to live in a society where there wasn't theft, that you could leave your stuff in your yard and know that it's going to be there in the morning when you wake up, or, or on the street out in front of your house, you could, just, you could just put your TV there and just know that it's there in the morning. See, that sounds a whole lot better, doesn't it? To the to the world that we live in. Now, it can only be done with those levels of penalty with the justice of God, and there was true justice. When you have a corrupt judgment system, you know the, the, the quality of the law doesn't matter anymore if you have corrupt people who are administering that law. So we have to be careful there, and we have to be careful in, in our society the level of punishments because we, we don't always have justice. And we don't always have just people, you know, administering the law. And so we have to that's just a little note there. But that's my counter to why things, it, it was designed, it wasn't exactly like countries are today. It was designed before the coming of Jesus and and as we see in the Old Testament. It was designed to be a theocracy where God is the, the nation. That's not the setup that we have. And I'm not saying that we should try to have that. We will have it again one day. The kingdom of of God, God's going to be in you know when when it's all said and done. Here, Jesus returns. It's His kingdom. He's the king, and He sets all the rules, and He's the judge. That's how that goes. But here and now, we don't we don't have that. Um. So he he says here, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught. I'm sorry. Let me go back. I just skipped verses accidentally. Um. So he. He doesn't judge um, this woman in this this sense. It doesn't mean that he's never going to judge her. We know that Jesus ultimately is the judge of all. But if she takes that encounter with him seriously and becomes his disciple, like, she's good and and her past is is made clean and she's a new creation and it's all said and done. um, And she can walk forward in light. See, she had been living in darkness. But here's what's interesting. This woman who was caught in the act of adultery was living in darkness. Her lifestyle was destructive and destructive to people from her and to society as a whole. Like, she was doing damage to herself. She was doing damage to another family. She was doing damage to her culture, to her her larger society. She was doing damage to all of that. Here's what's interesting. The scribes and Pharisees that bring her, they're also living in darkness. The religious leaders at the time of Jesus, most of them were living in the kingdom of darkness and they were masquerading or they're putting on costumes as if they were living in light. But they were actually living in darkness. It says, then... Jesus spoke to them again. That's the crowd that is there, saying, "I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life." So again, remember, it's a feast of tabernacle. They're in the court of the women. There's all these light stands, these lamp posts, all these light, you know, with this light reminds them that God was their 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 cloud of fire that they could follow. And it says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus did not say, I am one of many lights in the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus didn't say, hey, who follows me is going to walk back in darkness. No, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There's this expectation of change that when we encounter Jesus, we are forever altered. And we're not going to want to go back to, you know, don't go back to darkness. The scripture consistently tells us, hey, if you've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and you've been brought into the kingdom of light and you can live a life of joy and peace and purpose, don't run back. Don't run back and get and make yourself a slave again into the kingdom of darkness. Don't don't do that. Don't don't do that at all. That that is That's bad. Um, that's bad for you. So, I want to go to verse 13 and just do a little bit more uh, this morning. It says, The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. And Jesus said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from And where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. And this is a really, this is intriguing here. Because there's a couple of things. One, he says he doesn't, you know, he's not there to judge anyone. At the time, he didn't come as judge. At the time he, you know, when he returns as king, that's when judgment comes. But, you know, he came to give his life as a ransom. He came to be the humble servant who would sacrifice and the humble shepherd who would sacrifice life for the sheep. He came to suffer. He came to die on the cross. And he, he refers to their law, and it's, he pulls a couple different things in. One, in the law, it says, you know, you had to have the testimony of two, not just one. And, and here, Jesus says, you know, I bear witness of myself, and the Father bear witness of me. Because the Old Testament also talks about, with God, like, who's going to bear witness of God? Like, who, who, who has the equal standing with him to say that, you know, what God said is right or wrong? Well, only God can do that. God can only swear by himself. He can't swear by another name. He can only swear by his own name. And so Jesus says, I bear witness in the Father. He is saying that he is the one who can bear witness about himself. And then Jesus... So it's it's a claim of... of, Again, it's another claim of deity that Jesus gives. In verse 19, he says, And they said to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Because again, they wanted to lay hands on him, but they couldn't. And then he said to them again, saying, I'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he, that's about the religious leadership. Will he kill us because, because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he says to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's just it couldn't be any any more plain. Folks this morning, that couldn't be any more plain. Jesus tells a religious leader, it's like you're not where I'm from, you're not from the same, you know, level like that you you know, the, the claim that Jesus makes is that they need Jesus. And he's basically saying to them that if they do not believe in him, that they're gonna die in their sins. Can, can I be real? I need to be real this morning, folks, because and sometimes, you know, Jesus keeps it real with the whole situation with the woman called, called in the adultery, with these religious leaders now that he's speaking with. He keeps it real with them and that he says, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. See, later on, Jesus is going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but my me. John 14, 6. This is the claim of Jesus. It's an all or nothing with Jesus. You either need to take him as a false prophet, a false teacher, someone not to listen to at all, or that he is the way, the truth, and the life as he claimed to be. As he said here, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, what does that mean? You will die in your sins. See, we're all sinners. We've all done things that are wrong. But if you believe in Jesus, then you are forgiven because of what Jesus has done. And all your sins are paid for. You are covered. You are made whole and clean and in right standing before God. But if you do not, then you have to stand on your own. And as we've already made clear, as Jesus already made clear, everyone is is sinful and therefore lost. Therefore, condemned. You know, and, and, and I understand, you know, people use religion for comfort. Derek and I were talking about this yesterday. You know, people use religion for comfort because people want to have the comfort, the thought of whenever anybody dies, that they're in a better place. Nowhere in the Bible will you read that when anybody dies, they're in a better place. And the Bible, and this is this is tough, but the Bible clearly teaches that, that there is an eternal life with God or an eternal life separated from God. Now, it's become really popular in recent years to try to, make it so that there is there is no judgment, there is hell, there is no punishment, that you know everybody ends up okay when it's all said and done. Folks, you can believe that if you want to believe that. That can be your religion. You just can't believe that and agree with Jesus. Because Jesus teaches something very different. So you can believe what you want to believe. I probably believe what you want to believe. I I pray that you don't just believe what you want to believe because there's there's consequences for that. But you have the right to believe what you want to believe. I don't think you have the right to change what Jesus said. You you have a right to disagree with Jesus. You can do that. You can can say, I don't want to have anything to do with you, Jesus. I I don't believe your words. You can do that. But what you can't do is say... Oh, I want Jesus, but I also want to have this belief system where everybody is okay. Because that's contrary. That's not the same Jesus. That's a a different Jesus. That's a a, a figment of your imagination. The Jesus of the scripture says, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Uh, That's what the Jesus of, of scripture says. And then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the father. And then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself. But as my father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone for I always do the things that please him. And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, you know, when you put this, basically he's He's giving prophetic word to the crucifixion. When he is lifted up on the cross, that we're going to celebrate, remember, remember, Celebrate, mourn. I mean, we mourn for what had to happen, but we're, we're thankful for that it happened for us. That Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sin. Palm Sunday today, Jesus entering Jerusalem, the palm branches, then Thursday, the night um, of the Last Supper. Can't wait to take the bread and cup with our church family soon, Lord willing. And then, um, there's the betrayal Friday, the trials and crucifixion. And then Sunday, Easter Sunday, we call it, but resurrection. That's why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday, the Lord's day. But Jesus is making claim to who he is. He's telling them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. You see, and when he spoke those words, it says many believed in him. How cool is that? That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Verse 31, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I'm going to just stop at verse 32. He says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So The sad thing is there's so many people who are living their lives as slaves of sin and living their lives in in bondage. And yet Jesus says that if you abide in his word, you you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, when somebody believes in Jesus... If that, that's genuine, there's going to be a follow through. There's going to be results. Sometimes people say things, but there isn't. The reality. Sometimes people have emotional moments, but there isn't the, the spiritual reality behind it. How do you know there is something real behind it? Well, there's going to be evidence that they're going to abide in the word of Jesus. Jesus said, you know, you will, you will know them by their fruits people are going to abide in the teaching of Jesus if they know him. And he says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, lies and bondage are synonymous. When people believe lies, they're in, they're in bondage. But when there is truth, there is freedom. And people can believe lies and more lies and more lies, and they sp- down. And the only hope for people who are spiraling down in lies is that the truth is spoken to them. And then the lies are rejected in the name of Jesus and the truth is believed in and then acted upon. The truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So my question for everybody out there today is, I mean, even if you're a follower of Jesus, is there some lie that you're believing that is contrary to the word that you need to go back and abide in the word? You need to meditate on the word. You need to, you know, read, pray through, memorize about that subject or issue in your life, and you need to agree with Jesus that you are believing a law, reject the law, and then that you agree with Jesus about what He has said about it. Is there something in your life that you are, and ask God to show you, Lord? Is there anything in my life that I am that is a lie that I am believing that is is putting me back in bondage? And, and then to reject that lie in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So if you are a free person in Jesus, the bondage that this world has tried to heap to onto you, the chains that it's tried to put on you, the ties that it's tried to bind on your life, you can be free from in the name of Jesus and in believing his truth. We see this with our kids sometimes. You know, our kids. You can see, a kid, our kids start to believe a, a lie about themselves or about God or about something. And what we tell them to do is, you know, you have to capture that thought, capture that lie, and crush it with the truth. You have to capture that lie and crush it with the truth. And sometimes, we, you know, it's, it's a little bit intense on that because we don't want our kids growing up believing a lie about themselves that will then, down the road, cause destruction. So we're intent that they know the truth about themselves in terms of who they are in relation to God, who God has said that they are. So they have a firm foundation That they live in the light of Jesus in this dark world. The scripture tells us to capture every thought. So what do you do when you capture a It has to be thrown to the ground and stomped on and crushed in the name of Jesus. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If you have in bondage of believing God that somehow you could save yourself, or somehow that you could have a joy and peace and purpose in your life without Jesus. This morning, you need to have your conscience, your conscience needs to acknowledge that is that is wrong. That isn't true, that it's a lie, and that you are desperate for a savior. You are desperate from Jesus. It'll set you free. And you can to him this morning and be set free from all your sins. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge Jesus. Bow down before Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And he will. And you will be free from an eternal bondage and from a life of bondage here on this earth. You will be set free. And this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, but you've bought into some lie of the enemy, this morning is the morning to go to the, your, to get in the word and to go on your face before God and say, Lord, free me, save me from this lie that could be destructive in my life and in a lot of other people. And, and this, I'm gonna, I need to say this before we finish. You see, the problem when you believe a lie, you say, know, I, I can believe this lie. I mean, I can believe this thing. It's okay. Hey, I mean, it's just my life. That's bull. That's bull. When you believe a lie, you pass that lie to your kids. When you believe a lie, you infect your neighbors, your friends, your society, your culture with that lie. You take it like a virus. You take it like COVID-19. You take that lie, it comes out of your mouth, you breathe it on other people, you infect them. And you bring them into bondage. And that's why it's so important that we are serious about truth, about God's truth, and rejecting lies so that we do not infect, we are not infected, and we do not infect others. That we don't pass those lies down to the next generation and cause destruction in their lives. Capture every thought, and the lies have to be crushed, thrown on the ground, and stomped in the name of Jesus. For the good of others, because we love them, because God loves you, and God loves them, and you love them. It has to be done. The truth sets you free. You see, your life is best when you agree with Jesus. You know, your best life now, and there's people talking about. Uh, you you know your best life now, and you're gonna, you're going to be you know healthy, wealthy, and all that. Now listen, your best life now is to agree with the truth of Jesus. You agree with Jesus, and, and you have your best life. That's a life of joy and peace and purpose. Keep coming back to that as we're in this you know weird kind of season, this weird thing that we're all going through. Joy, peace, and purpose are found in Jesus. And you have, you have joy, peace, and purpose available to you at all times, every moment. Because you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. This morning, are you free? Are you a free person? Do you know Jesus? Have you made, has, you, has he freed you? That's the question. Not if you freed yourself. Has Jesus freed you? Have you asked him to free you? And then, for, for those who are followers of Jesus, is there any specific lie of the enemy that we're prone to believe that has to be rejected in the name of Jesus that's the challenge for this morning love y'all if you need anything if you need help you need prayer you need encouragement hey, send a message I'll pray for you or try to get you a resource or try to get somebody who can you know, maybe, maybe better answer than, than I can on something but listen just reach out don't try to go through this thing alone reach out love you and uh, please um, be in touch, and and be free in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray, okay. Heavenly Father. Thank you for today for your many blessings to us. Thank you for each person um, in our church family and those joining us um, through Facebook and other things, Lord. We just pray. We thank you for your love, and we pray, Lord, that each one will be free in your name, um, dear Jesus. And that, Lord, we are thankful that there is life and truth and abundance in, in, in you, Jesus. That there is a life of joy and peace and purpose. Lord, please help um, each one of us to be to be close and fully connected to you, dear Jesus, in these days. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for the truth of your word. Please help us to apply it. Lord, help us to be those who build our lives on you and your teachings, dear Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the light of the world and that you give light and life to all who call on your name. We praise you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we'll um, look forward to catching up with you soon. Please send us a message and um, we'll be we'll be in touch here and we'll talk about what we're going to do uh, for for Easter, um, if we'll be back on here just like this, or if we're going to do something um, a little different, whatever we'll do, it'll be safe. And so, because uh, we we love we love God, we love our neighbors, so we want to do things um, in, in the right way. So, love y'all, and we'll speak with you um, and and hopefully hear from you soon. Love you much. Bye-bye.